Red, White, Confused. I'm your host, Heather Evans. This week on the show, we kick off our series on the 2022 election. Red, White, and Confused is part of the weekly lineup at 90.7 WEHC, which is operated at Emory and Henry College. Emory is part of the 9th Congressional District in Virginia. So with that in mind, I have sent an invitation to all of the candidates who are planning to run in this district. Today on the show, I'll be chatting with Tasha Devon. Tasha is a resident of Wise County from Big Stone Gap. She was born in Lawton, Oklahoma, and is enrolled member of the Comanche Nation of Oklahoma. She moved to Virginia in 2011. After graduating from UVA Wise in 2018 with a BA in communications, Tasha began her career at the Appalachian Community Fund as a regional organizer and was quickly promoted to her current position as the donor engagement coordinator. She is the president of the Southern Appalachian Mountain Stewards, is a founding member of Lonesome Pine Mutual Aid, and is a gubernatorial appointee to the Virginia Council on Environmental Justice. She is also a member of the Environmental Justice for All Federal Working Group. So, Tasha, thank you and welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Heather. So I want to start our show with a little bit of your background, and I know that just from the, the bio that I've read about you, you aren't originally from this area, but you've been here for the past 11 or so years. What brought you to Southwest Virginia? Yeah, well, my father um, became the director of the Flatwoods Job Corps Conservation Center, um, and it just seemed like there was a lot more opportunity out here, um, so he invited us to move up here, and we came as a family. Now, you graduated as well from UVA Wise, but you stayed here. So can you tell us a little bit about what made you want to stay in this area once you graduated? Yeah, definitely. So where where I come from in, um, in Oklahoma is also a rural community. And when I got here and graduated, I just I fell in love. I fell in love with, with the people. I fell in love with the land. I fell in love with the communities. And I just felt like it's not fair to have to leave. Um, places that we love, um, just because it may be hard to, to find um, employment or to even find, you know, adequate housing, things like that. So I just fell in love and just decided to stay. So what's one of your favorite things about this area? Well, well the mountains for sure. Um, this, the mountains, the scenery, and like I said, the people, it's just so friendly. Um, people are definitely always looking out for each other. Um, it's very close. Um, I come from a small town, so these small towns around here just, they, they, they fit, they feel. Yeah. Now, I know that you are the president of Southern Appalachian Mountain Stewards. Can you tell me a little bit about that organization? Yeah, so it's an environmental grassroots organization that is dedicated to stewarding, um, stewarding the mountains in a responsible way and advocating for um, the first stopping of mountaintop removal um, has been a big um, focus of what we have been doing, but we also look at like economic development um, and other ways that we can reach out to the community and just try to uplift those voices of what we feel is needed um, in our different homes. So looking back over the last couple of years and working with that group, is there anything you would highlight as maybe the, the big thing that Southern Appalachian Mountain Stewards has been working on or a, or a big success that they've had? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think by the time I came along, there was there was a big transition um, from focusing just on mountaintop removal um, and then into like the economic diversity. So I think some of the big things we have done is hold workshops around um, hemp 
um, and industrial hemp. And we have whole, held workshops around um, mountain medicinals. So that's you know, like mountain medicine. Um, we have been able to advocate on that on behalf of, even though we have mountaintop removal and there's reclamation that's, have, that's going on. Um, sometimes that reclamation and that work isn't happening in the way that it's supposed to or on the timeline that it's supposed to. So a big win for us is being able to get these citizen mine inspections. So that means that we are able to go up and also monitor as these things happen. So we can also be like, hey, you know, we're not meeting these deadlines. We're not meeting um, these um, metrics. And um, so I think that's just been a probably the biggest thing we've done in the last few years is be able to create that partnership and that relationship between state agencies, between the coal companies and between ourselves. Now let's talk a little bit about the election. So of course, those who are turn, tuning in from this area, we have a primary and that's gonna happen in June and then the general election. Um, so in thinking about the election and issues here, what, what do you think are, let's say the top three, what do you think are the, the biggest issues facing citizens who are living here right now? Yeah, okay, so the top three I would think is definitely the, the economic development. Um, we have a lot of abandoned mine lands. We have a lot of uh, you know, privately owned land that, that we can be using to develop. Um, so I think that's one, we need a lot of diversity when it comes to energy. We drive energy in this part of the country, we have historically and we have a chance to do it again. So I think that would be number one. Number two uh, would be the healthcare that we are facing. I think we're left behind. Um, and third, I would think is our youth. Like I said, I think our rural youth has a really hard time staying here. I think I read an article, I can't remember where, so quote me on it, but the, the statistics of how many people that will be leaving between like the ages of 18 and 30 in the next 10 years was like astronomical, it was like crazy. Um, so that, that is something that's dear to my heart um, is keeping our youth in our communities. Okay, so you mentioned health. Um, and of course, healthcare is a big deal given COVID. And we've, we've seen this across the nation about how um, it's difficult to see doctors. A lot of people just aren't seeing doctors. And another piece of that here that I've heard a lot of people talk about is even just getting insurance mm -hmm. that for a lot of people who live here, um, they, they really can't afford the insurance that is being provided to them. So for instance, you know, the, the wages here, we have people who maybe make a little bit more than minimum wage. And so then their employers will offer them a health insurance package, but they can't really afford that package. And then they turn to the healthcare marketplace and they can't afford that either. Do you have any ideas for how we might, how we might deal with that in Southwest Virginia or just generally? Well, my, well, I definitely think that we do have some people that make a little bit more than minimum wage, but I think across the board, we need we need more income in this area regardless. Um, and it also needs to reflect that we know that even when we have the higher income, it's not, a, it's, we are not able to, to afford that healthcare. So those those things need to be rectified. Um, I don't know which, I don't know what, what um, tools that we can use or what lanes that we can use to fix that, but a big part of that for me when I look at things like the Black Lung um, Trust Fund and the Disability Fund, I think that that alone is a huge piece of legislation that's already in other bills that needed to be passed. Because once we do that, you know, once we take care of our workers, and then we can also then start to say, now we can afford to take care of everybody else, right? So it's kind of hard, I think, for us to also start thinking, okay, in this area, 
the people that have jobs also need health care, but we're also forgetting that there are folks that are still down here struggling just to get the basic needs of that health care things they were promised decades ago. So I think we have to do that first before we can go in to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. I've, um, yeah, I've been talking to different people about their issues, just getting, just getting health insurance. And they're like, I can't afford what the employer's offering me. And I can't afford a health care marketplace plan. I can't afford, it's like, you can't afford to just go see a doctor. And here in Southwest Virginia, there's folks who also feel like, you know, that I, I don't want to go even bother a doctor with some of these things that are happening to me we'll just wait, right? Or, or we'll try to figure it out in another way. Like we can push this off until we eventually have healthcare. And I'm afraid for those people that like they will just kind of miss the boat on essential healthcare. Um, yeah, that's, that's so important. And that's another reason at, at Sam's where we have what we call that mountain music and the disciplines. It's because we also have a lot of knowledge in these mountains that we have the feeling um, and of tinctures and things like that, that we, sh- we could bring back um, and that doesn't have to go through healthcare. You know, you don't have to go through a provider. You can go mm-hmm. to the people you would have normally gone to, you know, a couple of decades ago, which is your family. Um, so I think there's a lot. So I think there's a lot of different ways we could approach that. Yeah. Now, another issue that is um, that I'm hearing a lot about in general is, of course, internet with a lot of students being out from school for snow days and things, some communities are saying, let's have online instructional days and others are just saying it's a snow day. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of parents lack internet capabilities here too. Do you think that there's anything we can do either individually or as the government to to help speed up that process? I know some some things are in the works for people and some expansion of internet is happening, but are there things that you think might help with that? Have you seen any development around that? Well, like you said, I think there's definitely some things that are coming down the pipe as far as infrastructure for broadband, um, but I, I don't think it's enough. Um, I think that there are things that we could be doing um, locally. There's things we can be doing county-wise. Um, but again, I think that the funding that comes from that, it, it, I don't think it should come from us because we're the ones that are being left behind. So in addition to the things that are already coming down the pipe, um, I definitely think that there are things that we could be doing, again, with development. All of these pilot programs that we're getting, all of this money that's coming through to do this economic development out of these bills that have just been passed, um, really making sure that that money is going where they say it's supposed to go um, is, is, again, where I think we should start. Okay, so let me pause for a moment. Uh, For those of you who may just now be tuning in, hi, everybody. This is Red, White, and Confused, and I'm your host, Heather Evans. Um, You are on today hearing a conversation with Taisha Devon, who is running for the 9th Congressional District seat for the House of Representatives. So a couple other questions that I have. I noticed on your Facebook page that you spent some time with the Bristol Democrats uh, recently over the weekend. Did you, did you guys talk about some of the issues that Bristol residents are facing right now? You know, it was really more of kind of like just getting to know each other um, and kind of, you know, just talking about what we are excited about and what we see that's going to be good, good down the race. Um, so we didn't get into necessarily those type of conversations, but I'm definitely going back. They invited me to come back. So um, as I make the rounds, you know, those conversations will definitely get deeper. That's great. And do you have plans right now visiting the rest of the uh, committees that are in the area? So for instance, Washington County, Russell County, and all of those. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I hope and I plan to hit as many um, counties as I can. Um, those are definitely in the works. I don't have the schedule. Right now. Yeah. So, okay. I have a crystal ball question and uh, I like to ask the crystal ball questions. This is like, let's think about the future. Um, all right. So let's, let's say number one, uh, the nomination, uh, the, for the primary, boom, you win the primary, boom, you win the general election. So you take the ninth congressional district, you get in the house. What would be the first issue you would want to work on in Congress? The first issue I think would be, well, environmental justice for all. It's kind of hard not to talk about that because it is such a big part of who I am and my work. Um, and that for me is just stopping and advocating, you know, the bad, like we're stopping the bad things that we have been doing and we need to build this good stuff. I know it sounds very simple, but it's really not. <laughs> so when we talk about, you know, stopping that bad and building the good, so it's making sure that we're not, you know, exploiting and extracting from our people and our land and our workers without also taking care of them by their health wise, by taking care of them pension wise and wage wise, while also looking forward to the future. I feel like with environmental justice communities, that is a good model of how that can work. Um, because what we're essentially looking at and what we're doing is we're saying is you've got to protect your families. Of course, we have to do these jobs and we have to get these things done, but we have to protect ourselves at that. So what are the safety guidelines? What are the, uh, the, um, the, you know, the, the, when the pollution guidelines and things like that. So when we're following those and then we're also looking at, okay, what other options can we have as far as diversity? So we're not just doing one thing. We're doing multiple different things but also with the community involvement so that we know, you know what, what is good for the community, not just what we are told is supposed to be good for us, but we actually have um, hands-on ability to, to shape that. Um, and then, like I said, and then looking towards the future. So for me, it's definitely environmental justice as in it relates to building economic prosperity for our region would be one of the first things that I would like to look at. Awesome. Okay, now given and I'm doing the crystal ball thing again, and I'm also thinking about history. So historically in the United States, we see that the president's party typically loses seats in midterm, but not always. Given the situation of the United States right now, it is possible that Democrats might lose a couple seats in the House. Either way, even if they don't, even if they do, um, if you if you become the representative, you'll be working with Republicans in the in the House. So can you give a, our listeners an, an example of a time when you have kind of reached across the aisle and worked with people who are very different than you are or with Republicans on something um, related to really anything? Can you can you give an example of a time when you've come together with diverse people in terms of uh, their partisanship and kind of worked on an issue? Yeah, definitely. So I think there's a couple of things. Um, a portion, like I said, the black lung excise tax was was a big thing. Um, the disability fund, we were able to get into rooms with lots of different people, um, especially not just you know Republican leaders, but Republican voters. Um, and being able to go and advocate together um, on things that are important um, was a big win for us. Um, you would think, you know, you would think that a lot of those conversations that we hear that we were going to have didn't happen. It was, you know, we were all pretty much on the same page of we're here for, for work. 
Um, so we have done that. I think in this state, as I've been sitting on the state council for environmental justice, we've been working with inner agents with, with working with agencies, different agencies of regulation. So those are headed, you know, by a lot of different folks. Um, so I think the report that we were able to get out is a big part of that. Um, I think the continuing participation um, across the aisle, even, even though it's just state level, I think that's just an example of how I know that it can be done and what it looks like to get done. So what has you the most pumped up about your campaign? Uh, I would say just the ability to get my platform out, to get a perspective out. Um, I'm really excited to do what you just asked, um, to you know put into to this exercise of what it's like to reach across the aisle, to just in our own communities and across our district. I, I'm excited to see what that could model. Um, so like you're saying, even on a bigger scale, if, if that happens and I get out there, that this is something that I think so many folks have been waiting for. And I think so many folks have been talking about amongst each other, but maybe haven't talked about in a big group. Um, so I'm really happy to be that person that's like, come with me and let's do this. And yes, we can have all these conversations. That's great. Now, I do want to ask you, and, uh, you know, in terms of every time that we interview somebody at the college, and I've sat on a lot of these interviewing boards, right? We always ask these questions of candidates. Um, tell us about yourself. Tell us why we should hire you. Tell us all of this, right? So I'm going to ask you the political, the political version of that. Um, so for listeners who perhaps are just now getting to know you, who are listening to you for the first time, Give us, you know, you can call it the two minute elevator speech. You can call it whatever you want. Give us uh, some information on number one, why should they go vote? But then furthermore, why should they consider voting for you? I will definitely go vote uh, because it is definitely like, you know, that's our civic duty. And I think that that's what makes us citizens is our ability to participate in choosing who our leaders are and choosing who's going to represent us. And, you know, the people that have sacrificed so much for us to have that ability, someone who is a woman, someone who is Native American, we didn't even get the right to vote until like the 19th, um, which is sacred. It's a sacred thing. So I think that um, if you can, we should. I think being dedicated, informed and engaged is the very next wave. I think that's going to happen. I think we're going to see so many more people get, get involved. Um, and I think the reason why you should, should vote for me is because we deserve to have a representative that is from here, that is from Southwest Virginia. That is, we deserve to have somebody that, that knows us. Um, and we deserve to have somebody that knows what it's like to advocate for us, to, to fight for us, and to really work. Um, and I'm all those things. Um, I, I really do enjoy work. I really do enjoy um, having conversations and having tough conversations and finding solutions. Um, and I... I definitely have somebody who advocates for, for truth and for justice. Um, and I feel like we deserve somebody that can do that and who, who knows how to fight that fight. Okay. So for listeners who are tuning in today and for those who are listening on the podcast, if you're interested in learning more about this election, please go over and check out Tasha's Facebook page. It is Devon for Congress on Facebook. Um, also, the primary is on June 21st of 2022 this year. Good luck to you, Taisha, as you continue on your campaign. I look forward to hearing more about your campaign and also seeing you out in the community at many of these different uh, groups that you'll be visiting. 
And thank you for joining me today. And thanks to everyone for listening. If you missed any piece of this, you can catch up again either on WEHC 90.7. This show airs on Thursdays at six and Sundays at one. And you can also listen by podcast, be that Spotify or iTunes. Have a great week.